This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. You're listening to the Happy as a Mother podcast, and joining me here today is pelvic floor physiotherapist Janice Mitchell. I don't know about you, but I never thought that I would meet somebody who could make pelvic floor physio and all the topics underneath that heading, something enjoyable to learn about and entertaining and comical. But I have to tell you, you guys just have not met Janice yet. She is a firecracker, an infectious energy, and her passion for pelvic floor physio and educating women on their bodies and how to reclaim functions of their body that they may feel like are lacking is just absolutely infectious. So today we are tackling urinary incontinence during pregnancy, after pregnancy, and some really practical tips and ways to strengthen your pelvic floor so that you don't have to struggle with this problem. Because spoiler alert, you don't have to struggle with this problem. And regardless of what your grandma or your mom may have told you, urinary incontinence is not your burden to bear. So let's dive on in and learn from Janice. Welcome to the Happy as a Mother podcast, where we are dedicated to helping you cope with the load of motherhood. I'm your host and registered psychotherapist, Erica Jossa. Let's work together in letting go of shame and guilt, accepting where we are in our journey, and moving towards becoming the women we want to be. We will hear from experts, learn practical tips, and listen in on honest conversations. Please note that the information shared in this podcast is for educational purposes only and should not replace the advice of your healthcare provider. Okay, let's dive in. Janice, thank you so much for being here. I have to just start off by saying how much of a fan I am of your Instagram page. (laughs) I don't even know exactly, to be honest, how I came across it. But I was like, how can this lady make pelvic health so entertaining. I don't know. So first off the bat, just I absolutely love it. So uh, yeah, thank Thank you so much for being here and welcome. Yes, it is a pleasure to be here. And thank you for the feedback on the Instagram. It is really my goal to connect regular people that have never heard of their pelvic floor with their pelvic floor and understand what it does. So I'm glad that we connected and that we have this opportunity to talk. Oh my goodness. What it like I it might have been the first couple of weeks I started following you. I'm like, you know, following your stories and following along. And you're like, oh, I found this turkey baster. And I'm like, what the <laughs> heck is she gonna do with this turkey baster? I was like so invested in where this story was going, right? And then, and then like a couple of days later, you've got the post about the different yes. like Kegel contractions and the pulses yes. and the long holds. It was so helpful. So I can't wait to kind of dive into our topic today and share it with other moms. I just, yeah, your resources are so valuable. So thank you. Thank you. All right. So why don't we start off with, first of all, a little bit about your story. I'm so curious how you got into pelvic floor physio 
and also what pelvic floor physiotherapy is. So who are you and what is it you do? Mm -hmm. So um, in 95, I graduated with my uh, master's in physical therapy. And so I'm a healthy physical therapist doing, you know, physical therapy things in regular outpatient settings or in the hospital, helping people walk and helping people move their joints and whatever. And then in 1999, I had my first baby. And at that point in physical therapy, the physical therapy curriculum, pelvic health was not addressed or taught. And so I hadn't had any information in PT school about the pelvic floor. So I had my baby and I had dysfunction. I had tailbone pain. I fractured my tailbone, pelvic pain, leakage, and several near misses with bowel leakage. And so I'm like, okay, (laughs) what am I going to do? And I saw a little ad in a PT journal about a pelvic health course. It was called Pelvic Floor Function, Dysfunction, and Treatment. It was not even a quarter of a page, maybe a 16th. It was a tiny little one. I'm like, okay, hey, well, let me go to this class and let me see what I can learn for myself. I have no interest in doing this on anyone else. I don't even know what it is exactly, (laughs) but I know I don't want to be touching people there or talking about all this. But so let me go find out because I want to get better and I'll, uh, you know, apply these self-help strategies that I, that I, learn. And so I went to that first class and that first morning of the anatomy lecture, I was just in awe. Like, how can I be an educated professional from a health, from a family of healthcare providers and never have heard about the pelvic floor and what it does and its impact on our lives? And so at that point, I was just, you know, uh, overwhelmed and inspired with a purpose to share this with others. Like, how can this powerful information exist and people don't know about it? So that was that was kind of the beginning. It's so interesting to me because, like you said, you're in the field and as a practitioner, you haven't even heard about it. That's how Mm -hmm. I feel about like maternal mental health. I've been in the mental health field for like 10 years and I didn't even know that that was a specialty. And it's such an aha moment when you stumble Mm -hmm. into that passion, hey? Yes, just amazing. It still gives me chills thinking about it. Like, wow. Mm -hmm. Like changed the course and the direction of your like career and what you're focused on. Totally. Yeah. Yes. And so then the second part to that question is what is pelvic health physiotherapy? So in in broad terms, basically, it's applying the same principles that we apply in other areas of the body, but to the pelvic floor. So we do strengthening and coordination. We assess your joints. We assess your muscles. We assess the soft tissue. Is the scar moving the way that it should um, posture. And then a, a key component is pelvic floor muscle training. So are the pelvic floor muscles doing the right thing at the right time and understanding what they do and then what they should be doing is key to pelvic floor muscle training, because how do you even train a muscle if you don't know what it's supposed to be doing and where it is and that kind of thing. So that's a, that's a big picture of what uh, pelvic health therapy is. And I think that I didn't really need to know, I guess, or like have experience with this until becoming pregnant as well, like you had said. And then I'm like 30 something weeks or whatever is going on. And anytime I need to sneeze or cough or get a cold or whatever, I'm like fighting this peeing my pants urge. And so 
then when that happens and you start to connect with other moms, it's like, oh yeah, that happened to me too. And it seems like something that people don't talk about until you're experiencing it. And then they can all relate that this is something that's common, you know? Yes. So what so what kind of struggles would you say are common during the pregnancy period? Let's start with what kinds of ways do people struggle in this area? So with pregnancy, so over 50% of women experience urine leakage during pregnancy. So that's huge. I mean, just that, 50%. that statistic wow. alone. And it's more common towards the, you know, the later part of the pregnancy. Um, and I think there's this misconception that, oh, well, you're pregnant and there's nothing that you can do about it. You know, just wait until after you have the baby. But that's not true. There's really exciting research to show that if you're pregnant and you have supervised pelvic floor muscle training, that we can make a difference during pregnancy and also the postpartum period. Uh, something, okay, so that's pregnancy. Also, some other struggles that may occur during pregnancy is um, pelvic girdle pain. So that's a a huge one with pain in the pubic symphysis at the front of the pelvis. You have... You have your pelvis, if you envision it kind of like a bowl. I'm talking with my hands, although you can't see my hands <laughs> fluttering furiously showing you the pelvis, the pelvic bowl. So you envision a pelvic uh, bowl and then kind of cut that bowl in half at the front. And then you put a little cartilage in between. And so that cartilage, that's called the pubic symphysis, that joint. And that can be a huge source of pain and immobility in pregnancy. Because if you think about this, this joint is having to expand and sometimes the joint can rotate and get get off balance and that can be debilitating. Think about trying to take a step on a pelvis that's rotated and you know we I've seen people even come into the clinic in wheelchairs because they're not able to walk. Oh my goodness. You are like yeah Yeah, we're speaking to my experience here. Mm -hmm. I have to tell you, like I, yeah, with my third baby, like, okay, I had three babies in four years. Mm -hmm. And with my third baby, I did something. I don't even know what I did. I went to like step out of the car or I went to step up a stair or something. And I felt this pop in my pelvic like area. And then I had like nonstop pain anytime I went to lift my legs. And I actually went to see a pelvic floor physiotherapist in my area who told me it's exactly what you're describing. Talk Mm. about debilitating. Like I had to walk so slowly and no sudden like leg movements to the side or lifting my legs because I would have this jarring pain like my like pelvic was ripping in half or something. It was unbearable. Mm -hmm. Yes. And how did that impact your life at home? You know, especially with two little ones at that point, you're not lifting, you're not squatting, you're not bending down, you're just trying to survive. And imagine then if you had a, had a profession where you had to stand all day long, you know, that, that's, yeah not functional. So that's an exciting area that we can also help. Um, and you know, there's there, I would say those are two of the big things is leakage and pain during pregnancy. And then there's a whole lot. So in the postpartum period, then, um, some of these things, like you said, do they naturally correct themselves or what are some of the reasons that you might see somebody postpartum? So I would love to just take a 
tiny break and just go over a little bit of the pelvic floor for anyone that Absolutely. hasn't heard of the pelvic floor and where it is. Um, because we're going to be talking, oh, the pelvic floor, you know. Um, so just go, we're going back to that bowl analogy. So the bowl uh, are the bones. So the bones are the outside of that bowl. And the bottom of that bowl are your muscles, your pelvic floor muscles. So literally they're the floor of your pelvis and they attach at the pubic bone in the front and they attach, go back to the tailbone in the back. And then they also go side to side to the pelvises. So it's like this hammock front to back and side to side. And so these muscles need to support pelvic organs. And so in females, generally we have three organs, the bladder, the uterus, and the rectum. And each of those organs has a little canal that goes through that hammock. And so that hammock needs to support and lift those organs. But then that canal that goes through, the pelvic floor muscles actually squeeze or release. So now another analogy that I think is helpful is imagine that your um, bladder is like a balloon. Okay, so you have a yellow balloon. And we're going to attach that to a faucet and we're going to slowly fill up this balloon. And that's what happens with the bladder. So as that balloon is filling with water, same thing happens with your bladder. It's slowly filling and expanding. Now we're going to take the balloon off of the faucet and we're going to clamp it closed with our fingers. And that is an example of the pelvic floor muscles. So the bladder is the balloon and your fingers are your pelvic floor muscles. And so you can visualize that if the pelvic floor muscles were weak, they may not be able to close off that canal very well. Or if they were uncoordinated, they may not be able to close off, close it off at the right times. So it's very important. So those are two big functions of the pelvic floor support, holding the organs up, sphincteric, which is squeezing off the canals or letting them open at the right times. Then we also have sexual, so they have a sexual function and they have a stability function, which is working with the other uh, muscles to help stabilize the spine, pelvis, and pelvic organs. So that's a summary that's of the so function of the pelvic Thank you. Muscles. Yeah, and I can totally right. visualize that <laughs> along with you. Like I have a really good understanding of yeah, where it is you're going. Good. Okay, because I I was again I was using my hands know, and I was squeezing. Yeah. And, and your squeezing, Instagram you has some amazing that. visuals <laughs> of the of the bladder and the different like <laughs> organs that the pelvic floor holds up and how when they prolapse and stuff. Yeah. So if if anyone Thank needs visuals you. in the show notes for sure, mm -hmm. we will link to all of your Instagram and all of that. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Good, good. Okay, so let's jump back then to your original question, which I don't. Maybe it was about uh, what kinds of yeah, issues. Yeah, so like in pregnancy, we had said that that like pubic bone pain or whatever that joint, and then also incontinence. And my mm -hmm. understanding mm -hmm. is we can work on those things with pelvic floor, and we can talk about some of the things we can do at home in in a couple mm -hmm. minutes. Um, mm -hmm. So those mm -hmm. things usually yes. subside, but kind of lend to different challenges postpartum. Is that or it's similar ones? I'm not sure. Well, so I wouldn't say that they subside. It's possible. Okay, so let's go over a little bit of of what happens to the pelvic okay, floor yeah. during a vaginal delivery. So you have this baby coming down the canal and that 
um, opening stretches sometimes up to 200% of, of its regular opening, right? So those muscles are also having to stretch, but sometimes they don't stretch enough. So either you, that's where you have a tear. You might have a perineal tear and we have four grades of perineal tears and then also uh, episiotomies. So that's where they might have to surgically uh, cut you to increase the size of that opening to allow the baby to come out. So it's common to have, this is called transient incontinence. Okay. So transient stress urinary incontinence. I know these are really big words, but I think it's important to understand because there's several types of, of urinary leakage. So what we're discussing is stress incontinence, which is a, a, a specific, look, we've got to back up to that too. So mm-hmm. stress incontinence, let's go back to the bladder. We, we filled up that balloon. Our pelvic floor muscles are holding it open. With the other hand, I want you to take and you're going to squeeze that water balloon. Okay. And so when you squeeze that, the other hand that is your pelvic floor muscles has to maintain that pressure or sometimes even increase the pressure to counteract that squeezing. And it's the same thing with activity and the pelvic floor and the bladder. So coughing, (laughs) that is essentially pushing down on that bladder and the pelvic floor has to have a corresponding contraction to counteract that force. Um, Exercise size, that is pushing down on that bladder. That's increasing your abdominal pressure and pushing on the bladder. And people can have leakage at varying with varying activities. So some people may experience leakage just with rolling over in bed or just from sitting up or leaning over to pick up something light. Other people may not experience leakage unless they're jogging or lifting heavy weights. So it really is very individual. And any urine that comes out that you didn't mean to come out is considered leakage. So it's really up to you to determine, okay, well, that was once a year. Am I really, you know, incontinent? Um, But if if it's bothering you and it's happening regularly, it's a warning sign that the muscles aren't doing what they are designed to do. So stress incontinence. Oh, one other thing, it can also happen during sex. So people really aren't, I think people are getting more connected with the fact that, oh, leakage during exercise um, really maybe shouldn't happen. At least some people are getting connected with that. But the the part about leakage during sex, people don't want to talk about that. And it does happen. And there is something we can do about it. All right. So now that no, we went through it. another anatomy lesson, and you know there, what? Let's go back. To Actually, couples. like I work with parents and couples in treatment <laughs> and in therapy, and urine incontinence after childbirth years later um, can have a major effect on intimacy and like a woman's ability to feel comfortable in intimacy with her husband. So these are really important topics. And uh, like we had sort of said pre-interview, is that this is something that the generation before me or before you didn't really talk about, and there was wasn't a lot of practitioners doing this to help teach women and empower women to build these muscles, right? So while it's a physical thing, it can interfere, we can have guilt, we can have shame, it can affect our self-esteem, it can affect our relationship with our husband, like, or our partner, Exactly. Very isolating. Like you don't want to go out. You're afraid that you're leaking. You're afraid you're going to smell. Somebody might see it. You know, there's 
a totally, whole psychosocial yeah. component to this that I yeah that I haven't addressed a whole lot in my in my answers, but yes, I think that is not yeah. to be undervalued at all. Okay, so this is an interesting statistic. 76% of women with urine leakage three months after giving birth still have urine leakage 12 years later. So this concept that, oh, it'll get better on its own is really not valid. If you're still having leakage at three so, months, So sorry, what was that percentage? Like, say it louder for the okay. people in the back. Holy smokes. 76 Percent. That 76%. Is percent. Isn't that huge? And this was a wow. recent study. Yes. So 76% of women with urine leakage three months after giving birth still have leakage 12 years later. Okay. So this is something that I think is really important. So many times women are coming in with urine leakage and it's bothering them at this point. And so I do a pretty thorough history, right? And say, okay, when did the urine leakage start? When did you first notice any urine leakage? And frequently it's around childbirth Mm. and it never really got better, but it wasn't that bad. They were using panty liners. Oh, you know, and my mom had a weak bladder. I hear that all the time. Yeah. My mom, but like this is this is what women deal with after childbirth isn't it just like what the hand were dealt you know yeah exactly but it doesn't have to be that way and so so many times i see that panty liner turning into a mini pad a mini pad turning into a maxi pad and then maxi pad turning into full accidents you know where they're having to take a change of clothes with them or something so i want i want that point to really get across that urine leakage doesn't have to happen and if it's bothering you bother someone else um it's not something that you have to live with. That being said, immediately after childbirth, transient urinary leakage is common and I wouldn't worry about it. Okay. Mm -hmm. So the first few weeks, because I don't want people to walk away from this thinking, oh, I should never have any urine leakage. You know, your vaginal canal and your pelvic floor muscles went through a huge amount of stress and stretch with that delivery. Right. And so it's going to take some recovery time. But if you're having persistent leakage and it's not getting better on its own, even at six weeks, like if you go to your six week checkup and you're having urine leakage, I would tell your doctor, hey, I would like to get a referral for pelvic you know, floor physical therapy. Okay. So just, just being aware of that fact that you don't have to live with it. And there are resources out there to help. Yeah. If I like, I think back to my kids and I want to stay with each of them for about two weeks, maybe after give or take like any of the season coughing, whatever. I mean, at that point, you're so healing and in these massive diapers and everything anyways that yes. you don't, you're yes. not paying that much attention. Yes. Like everything yes. is happening everywhere and whatever, right? Um, exactly. But I remember it like subsiding and and getting back to what I would say is kind of normal control for myself. So mm-hmm. it's important. Mm-hmm. So you're saying that, that that marker, because we obviously don't want to wait till three months because if we have it till three months, that's, you know, saying, according to research that we could have it prolonged. So you're saying that kind of flagship markers, if we still have it at six weeks, then definitely get a referral. Right. Okay. Exactly. All right. And and this study for the three months was these women didn't have any intervention. Right. Okay. Yeah. 
So even if you're having it at three months and you haven't talked to anybody about it, it's not too late. But I would, I, you know, I, I wouldn't stress about it before the four to six week mark too much. But at that six week, if you're still having urine leakage, talk about it and get some help. Okay. That's really good to know. Awesome. One of the most relentless mental loads is being the juggler of medical appointments. Researching doctors, reading reviews, making phone calls to book appointments, it's a lot of stress when you're already juggling so much invisible labor. That's what makes ZocDoc great for moms. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare hundreds of types of highly rated in-network doctors, including mental health providers, and instantly book appointments with them online. ZocDoc has doctors of all specialties, including therapists, psychiatrists, and psychologists, with verified patient reviews so you can make sure they check all your boxes. You can find mental health providers who offer in-person appointments, virtual consults, or both, whatever works for you. The typical wait time to see a mental health provider booked on ZocDoc is just four days. Sometimes you can even book same-day appointments. Make juggling appointments easier with ZocDoc. Go to ZocDoc.com slash MomWell and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated therapist, psychiatrist, or psychologist today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash MomWell. ZocDoc.com slash MomWell. Mealtime with kids can be stressful, but with Factors Delicious ready-to-eat meals, it can be a lot easier. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian-approved, and ready to eat in just two minutes. No worrying about ingredients and nutrition, no prep, no mess, and no cooking while wrangling toddlers. Choose from a weekly menu of 35 options, including popular options like Calorie Smart, Keto, Protein Plus, or Vegan and Veggie. Also discover more than 60 add-ons every week, like breakfast, on-the-go lunch, snacks, and beverages to help you stay fueled and feel good all day long. What are you waiting for? Get started today and fuel up for your springtime goals. Factor can even be tailored to your schedule. Customize your weekly meals with the flexibility to get as much or as little as you need. Pause or reschedule deliveries to suit your lifestyle. Take the stress out of meals with Factor. Head to factormeals.com slash momwell50 and use code MOMWELL50 to get 50% off your first box. Want to get smarter about your health but feel overwhelmed trying to separate fact from fiction? We hear a lot about gut health, microbiomes, and other nutrition topics, but taking the time to research these is exhausting, and there's a lot of misinformation out there. The Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast makes it so much easier to get the information you need. With the help of world-leading scientists, the podcast gives you research-based information so you can make informed choices for yourself without pressure and guilt. People are loving Zoe Science and Nutrition. Listener Stephanie's Apple Review says the Zoe Science and Nutrition podcast is a life-changing, science-based, myth-busting podcast. That's a must-listen for anyone who eats food and wants to understand how it affects their body. With the Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast, you can join Stephanie and millions of others accessing quality information about their health. Find it wherever you listen to podcasts.
All right. So postpartum, we've got that urine incontinence that can kind of carry through from being pregnant into postpartum up until that like four to six week mark. And what other kinds of things might we see going on with our pelvic floor after childbirth? So pelvic organ prolapse is a hugely, hugely prevalent thing that people really haven't heard about or talked about. This is basically a loss of support. So remember that hammock that's holding those organs up, the bladder, the uterus, and the rectum. Mm -hmm. And that hammock has had to stretch during pregnancy and childbirth. And it may not be doing as good of a job as it should with supporting those organs. And that means that the organs can start to fall or collapse. So if you could visualize the three canals, so we have a canal from the bladder that goes out with the urine. We have a canal from the uterus, which is the vaginal canal. And then we have the canal with the rectum, which is the anal canal. And so they share walls. So the vaginal canal is in between the uh, urethral canal for the urine and the rectal canal for stool or the anal canal. And so what happens is that those vaginal walls can start to collapse and kind of really cave in to the vaginal canal. And if there's enough loss of support, the vaginal wall can actually collapse outside, it can fall outside of the body. So you may feel or even see a bulge in your vagina. And so I have a little video on this on my Instagram TV that shows how to check for a vaginal bulge. A vaginal bulge is not the end of the world, but you need to be familiar with your anatomy. And if you have a vaginal bulge, that's showing that there's some loss of support and you need to do some corrective things to help improve that, which is a whole nother uh, podcast, I think. Right. A whole nother topic. <laughs> yeah. Because I've seen yes. even in your stories, again, like Q&A, people who have prolapse or bulge or whatever it's called, um, yes. that like there's all these different supports and different things that you can do for prolapse. Yeah, so I would love to yes. to have you back. That's a whole other episode. I feel like we could get into all of the different ways to support and yeah, all of that. Like you've got so much on your on your IG about that. Yes, I would love to talk about it from a professional standpoint and what the research is showing and so forth, and then also from a personal standpoint. So I had um, pelvic organ prolapse after my first baby, but I wasn't symptomatic at that point. Like I didn't have a vaginal bulge. I wasn't having any heaviness or pressure. After baby number two, I did have a vaginal bulge. So that's been since 2001 and it's 2019 at this point. So I have a personal experience of positively dealing with prolapse. And it's a, a favorite topic because I want people to know. I want people to understand their anatomy and to know that there's hope and there's things that they can do. So That's so okay. interesting to me. Sorry, I'm just going to pause you because oh. I've heard moms say, like I've heard women say, oh, like I felt like my uterus was like going to fall out or something mm-hmm. like that. And I feel like, is this something that people used to get like surgery or hysterectomies mm-hmm. for? How was this treated before pelvic floor became a thing? Like, Right. Well, yeah. So I, I 
number one, I think a lot of people just didn't even talk about it. And, and surgery was a, and surgery is still an option. So for severe prolapse or for prolapse that maybe has failed conservative treatment or for those people that don't even want to try a conservative treatment, you know, surgery is still out there and um, it can do some things that potentially pelvic floor muscle training may not, but pelvic floor muscle training is the number one recommended intervention for pelvic organ prolapse. So Hmm. that's where uh, I would recommend everyone start. So interesting. Yes. Mm-hmm. Like it's a starting point and some people, a lot of people gain a lot of success with it. Mm-hmm. And then the more, um, sort of, I guess, intrusive treatments would be moving towards the, mm-hmm. the surgery and things like mm-hmm. that. Yes. Okay. But there's even other conservative options in addition to, you know, pelvic floor muscle training, including some of the supports that we talk about on the, on the Instagram. So there's external support and internal support. So yes, let's do another podcast and schedule. Oh, the, yes. Schedule I that. know. I have so many questions, so many things. We will, we'll have to do a prolapse episode. We will yes, do it. Yes, okay. Yes. <laughs> okay. So another common diagnosis in postpartum is pelvic pain. And the medical term or one of the medical terms for that is dyspareunia. And some of the research is showing that 60% of women who had a vaginal birth have pelvic pain with sex at three months, and then 30% have it at six months. So that's, again, those are staggering statistics. If you think about how many people have given birth, um, you know, that's billions of people, not just millions of people. So So how do you describe that pain? Like, what would that pain, like, where is that pain? What does it feel like? What is that pain exactly? So there's different types of, of pelvic pain, right? One of a common type is called vaginismus. So people may uh, describe it like you're hitting a brick wall. Uh, You're not able to insert or have anything penetrate the vaginal canal. You know, it just won't go in. Uh, Mm -hmm. So that's where the muscles are just super tight. And I think the frustrating thing about this is that a lot of people, at least in the past from the medical community have said, oh, you just need to relax, go home, drink a glass of wine, take a hot bath. You know, it's all in your head, just relax. When there's actually a musculoskeletal component to it. So going back to pelvic pain, you've really got to assess where is the pain coming from and then address the cause. Another common cause is perineal scarring. So remember, we coming out, you might have had a a first, second, third, or fourth degree tear, and you have layers of fascia and skin and tissue and muscles that need to be repaired and to heal. And that area can develop scar tissue just like other areas. And it it may not be as pliable as it once was, and and you might have some adhesions and and some muscle overactivity. So a general theme with pain with sex is generally that the pelvic floor muscles are overactive. And I'm going to give you just a quick example with the hand. So remember with the pelvic floor, we need the pelvic floor to correctly contract, completely let go, be active at the right times and be relaxed at the right times. So using the hand as an example, when we make a fist and we tell our hand to make a fist, we want it to close all the way and make a fist, right? We don't want just one finger to bend down or we don't want the fingers to extend back. We want it to do the right thing. 
correctly. And then when we want our fist to let go, it should completely let go. So same thing with the pelvic floor. When we contract, we want those organs to lift and the openings to close. And then when we relax, we want the openings to open and for there for there to be a little bit of drop or give in that hammock. We don't want that hammock taut and elevated all the time. We need it to have some give or some play. So again, same thing with the pelvic floor. So going back to pelvic pain and that overactivity with the pelvic floor, the a common thing that you're going to see with pain with intercourse is pelvic floor overactivity. Is it always just the pelvic floor that's the problem? No, there's definitely other factors that can be involved. But I'd, I don't have an actual statistic on this, but nine times out of 10, I would say that the pelvic floor is involved, if not higher, in, in uh, pain with sex. That's actually one of the initial things that brought me into my pelvic floor physio like early on, maybe like my first pregnancy or after my first baby or something like that. And she had taught me some sort of like massaging techniques or breathing techniques just to like let go of the tension. It's Uh so funny before seeing her, I never thought that you could like carry your tension in your vagina. (laughs) Like as a therapist, I'm always telling people about carrying their tension, you know, in their shoulders and take deep breaths and relax your jaw, relax your shoulder, whatever. And now I'm going to be like, and relax your vagina. (laughs) (laughs) And I think one of my favorite cues, just for anybody that's listening that may need a a quick cue for that would be, because we could do a whole podcast on pelvic pain and pain with sex too. Right. Right. For helping you to to relax your pelvic floor, I think is opening your anus. So think about like if you had to pass gas and you want the gas to come out, you want to open the anus kind of like a flower blooming. So opening is good and helps to decrease some of that tension. But a lot of people don't have that connection with their pelvic floor. So they can say, oh, anus open. (laughs) (laughs) So you've got to build that that mind-body connection with and connect. Okay. So another common uh, postpartum diagnosis is tailbone pain. We also have anal incontinence, which is a, it can, can be either leakage of stool or leakage of gas. So a lot of times I think people understand, yeah, leakage of leakage of stool or bowel movement. That's not right. Right. Like I, I want to get that fixed. But right. Right. Gas, like, ah, you know, but Honestly, it's showing that your muscles don't either don't have the power or the coordination to do the right thing at the right time. So that could be a warning sign there. Okay. And then also we have uh, C-sections. So C-sections are not immune to having any pelvic floor dysfunction. And a, a statistic that I have right here is there... Six to eighteen percent of C sections result in significant chronic pain. So again, that's a really, really big statistic there. Uh, and I, I think some people are starting to think, "Oh, well, I'm going to save my pelvic floor. Let me have a C section." A C section is a major surgery that could have potential, you know, complications and result in pain. And and it's by no means a guarantee that your pelvic floor won't have dysfunction because we see a lot of pelvic floor dysfunction with um, parents that have C-sections as well. Hmm, okay. So, and then another topic is return to exercise and running. So how, what are some things that they can 
can um, assess how do they know if they're ready. And we, uh, we have some really, really good guidelines that were established by a group of three physical therapists in the United Kingdom. And we have a link. Um, we ha- I've created several videos on that, but basically they it's a 40-page document. So this is really, really good for intense people that want to understand the research and so forth behind it. But they take you through every step of, of risk factors and what you need to be able to do to be able to return to run safely and some warning signs. So uh, we okay. can, we can help with that as well. Wow. So I feel like all of these topics, like between prolapse and pain and even just like how to have comfortable sex after baby, like we could, we, and maybe we will break these all down into separate shows over the next few months, because these are all really common issues that bring people into your clinic. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So if we're looking at that urine incontinence or like some things that we can do at home. So like I I didn't have an awareness about this at all. I went to see my pelvic floor physio and she did her whole assessment and things. And one of the things I, I love about the physio model is how empowering it is for you to go home and practice these things so that you can have control over your health and do yes. these things at home. Yes. So yeah, what would be some of those recommendations? That you so have? I'm going to, I have four categories here and each category has a few things. Okay. So the first category is developing healthy bladder habits. So many people don't even know what what a healthy bladder looks like, right? So I'm going to, I'm going to read through these pretty quickly, but, uh, oh, we have a video on YouTube, um, that maybe you can link with this that goes over all of this in detail as well. So great. Yeah. If you send it to me, we'll put it in the show notes. Absolutely. Yeah. Perfect. Okay. So when urinating, relax and take your time. Many, many people are in a rush, right? Let's get it out. And, and so then they're, to get it out, they're straining. So relax, take your time and avoid straining. Ideally, let your urine flow out in one solid, steady stream. So the stop and start and the pushing, that's not healthy bladder habit. Avoid urinating just in case. So if you're running out to the mall or to the grocery store or whatever, and you may be one of those that is like, oh, let me go just in case because I don't know where the next bathroom I'm going to hit is. Now, that doesn't mean that it's always a bad thing, especially if you really know there isn't going to be the bathroom for the next four or five hours. But you don't want to get into a habit of that because you're emptying your bladder before it's full. And remember going back to that water balloon analogy, it's meant to fill and expand. And then when you urinate, it collapses back down. So you need to have that expansion for a healthy bladder. Okay. This one is so interesting. I had read that on your page actually, and I am totally the mom or like so is my husband with the kids. It's like, oh, you should go just before, you know, just in case there's not a bathroom or whatever. I think it's also somewhat situational. So you don't want to get into the habit of doing that. Right. I've done that even with my children this summer on road trips. Okay. Has everyone gone? We're about to exactly. Road trip. You need to go to the bathroom, whether you feel like you have to or not. So right. and 
right. like the back part of my head, my pelvic therapist is like, oh no, you're teaching them to void just in case. But I think it's, it's, it's <laughs> habits. Okay. So right, right. In moderation, if you're not doing it very often, you know, I wouldn't worry about it. Right. So urinate at your convenience instead of rushing to the bathroom. So if you leak, you may be afraid that when you have that first urine uh, urinary urge that you're going to leak, right? And especially, mm-hmm. especially if you're out in public. So a lot of times people get into the habit of when they feel that first urge, they're running to the bathroom. Where's the bathroom? Where's the bathroom? And that can create something called urge incontinence, which is urgency um, associated leakage. So again, we just don't want the bath, the the bladder to rule us. We want to tell the bladder when it's time to go and where it's time to go. And we want to be in control. The ideal scenario is urinating every three to four hours during the day. And this is for healthy adults. Okay. So that's the general guideline. And then ideally sleeping through the night. So if you're someone that's having to get up multiple times in the night, it's considered if you're pregnant or if you're over 65, if you get up two or less times a night, that's considered to be in the normal range. But if you're getting up more than two times, then that's not considered to be the normal range. And if you're not pregnant and you're under 65, it would be only once a night. So that's a general guideline. And then stay hydrated so your urine is healthy and not concentrated. Again, this is another uh, another little habit people get in. So, oh, I, I leaked. So I'm not, I'm not going to drink so that I don't have as much urine in my bladder so I won't leak. But concentrated urine can actually irritate the bladder and cause it to kind of spasm. And you may even have more leakage with that. So stay hydrated so your urine is healthy. All right. So that was the first category. Second category is to reduce or eliminate risk factors. Smoking doubles the risk of urinary leakage. So make a choice not to smoke. Maintain a healthy weight and normal body mass index. If you're overweight, even losing just 5 to 10% of your body weight can, can significantly reduce urine leakage. Avoid constipation and straining. So think about this one, that hammock. If you're sitting on the toilet and you're straining and pushing, what's happening to that hammock? It's in this vulnerable position down there. It's already kind of stretched. And then you're straining and pushing. You're not doing healthy things to that tissue and, and the pelvic floor. And over time, it can stretch. So avoid constipation and straining. And then if you have diabetes, work with your doctor to stay in control of your health. The third category is my favorite, pelvic floor muscle training. So work with a skilled pelvic floor physical therapist. Well, uh, work with a skilled pelvic floor therapist. So they're not just physical therapists. They're occupational therapists that also specialize in this. So we want to make sure that the pelvic floor is doing the right thing at the right time. And it's not just Kegels. So I think that's a misconception. Oh, they're just going to do Kegels. Well, we're going to teach you the correct way to contract your pelvic floor which is um, commonly known as a Kegel. But we also are going to teach you how to relax, how to coordinate, and we want endurance contractions. We want maximum voluntary contractions. We want to work on all the aspects of the muscle function. And then we also have tools. So we have vaginal weights. We have vaginal dilators. We use electrical stimulation or biofeedback. Sometimes clinics have ultrasound. There's all kinds of fun things that we 
we have, well, I think they're fun, (laughs) (laughs) fun things to help adjunct the pelvic floor muscle training and really get you to, to connect as well as you can with your pelvic floor and get it to do, get it to do what we want it to do. So, uh, working with a skilled therapist has been shown to be more effective than training at home alone. Right. So if mm. you, if you're trying to get back in shape, isn't working with a trainer generally going to be a better idea than trying to do it on your own at home? Same thing with a therapist, somebody that specializes in these muscles to make sure that you're on the right track. Now, pelvic therapists are few and far between. We're growing in numbers and it's an exploding field, but still there aren't enough of us to see all. Remember how many people have pelvic floor dysfunction? (laughs) Right, right. So there aren't enough of us. So you can find a pelvic floor therapist on our website, mypfm.com. We have links to four databases. A lot of them are in the U.S., but we also have a couple databases that link globally. So there's therapists all over the world. And then if you don't have access to a therapist and you can't find one near you, you can learn a lot from the digital resources that we are creating. That's really the intent behind my PFM is to be able to produce these resources to be able to touch people wherever they are, as long as they have digital access to be able to help them have some self-help tools and to be able to connect with their pelvic floor. All right. So now we have fourth category, and this is my last category, general exercise. So stay hydrated and get plenty of exercise, even if it means wearing a pad in the short term. So we are advocates. We're trying to get you off pads, right? These these, um, commercials that seem to be normalizing light bladder leakage. Oh, let let me just wear this pretty cute pad. No, that is not what we want. That is not the ideal function of the pelvic floor. However, um, if you need a pad to feel confident to go out and exercise, put one on. We want you to, we want you to exercise. You need to exercise. So we do not want you to stay isolated at home. Uh, one of my favorite pelvic health instructors has this little uh, phrase and she says, pad up and play on, right? So do everything that we can, but pad up and play on, keep moving, keep going. Don't let urinary leakage limit you from, from, uh, activities and mobility and exercise. Something that I think is a real key here is that some women find using support during activity helps them avoid urine leakage. So remember our hammock and that hammock is at the floor. That hammock has been stretched because of pregnancy and delivery, if you've delivered vaginally. So we support our C-sections, right? We have all kinds of great C-section supports uh, and abdominal supports, the belly bands and the postpartum braces and that kind of thing. We don't talk about perineal support very much. So I love perineal support. There's several different ways that you can do it. And there's several different uh, intensive. So there's light support and there's some really intense, heavier support, but basically something on the outside of the perineum to help support that hammock from below to counteract those forces can even help with urine leakage. 
So supportive undergarments, compressive exercise apparel. Um, there are even some shorts now that have built-in perineal support. They're called EVB shorts. So there's really some great innovations happening. And then also internally, there are um, things that you can put inside the vaginal canal to help support it and to help support the bladder and the, the urethra, which is the urine exit canal. So uh, I have some posts on that. We'll be creating more content. And the bottom line is don't let urine leakage keep you from being active and confident. There are options and we want you to be mobile and active. Like my mind is blown with all of the options and the fact that so many women are just like, this is my burden to bear now that I'm a mom because that's been the mentality before our, this generation and before the research and, you know, in the field that you're in. So I am like floored that there are so many options. Yes. And I don't even think I gave you this statistic or, or this fact. Pelvic floor muscle training for stress, urinary incontinence is the number one recommended intervention by the International Continence Society and the American College of Physicians. Wow. So it's not just therapists that's, that are saying, hey, we're the best, right? <laughs> you know, do public muscle training. It's other entities. And there's a, a whole body of research to support pelvic floor muscle training that we can do so much. So yes, very exciting. So if we're talking, so like we're talking about the postpartum period and we're talking about that stress incontinence. So let's say I want to become a pelvic floor advocate and like, you know, my mom's coming to me and saying, you know, I've got incontinence. Is it ever too late to work on pelvic floor muscles? You know, the oldest person that I've worked on was 94. Wow. So as long as you have the cognitive ability and the desire, um, you know, the, of course the nerves need to be able to send the right messages to the muscles and you need to have intact, you know, muscles at least, at least somewhat. So there are some some physical um, requirements that need to be in place, but it's not too late to work on pelvic floor muscle training. The youngest that I've worked with has been three and the oldest has been 94. So if you have the cognitive ability and the desire to improve, we're going to use all of the tools in our toolkit to help you achieve your goals and to help you live your best life. Wow. That is so empowering that people can, like you're offering them the information to reclaim this area of their life. I know that there's so much shame and so many things that go into this. And I'm just really, I'm floored, to be honest, I'm floored. I think that it's going to be so helpful for our women who are hearing this to normalize it, but also to just empower them that they can take this into their own hands and do something about it. Because I feel like this is an area where people have felt so helpless in the past. So Yes. Yes. There's so much. And a lot of times people are reticent to even go into therapy. So we've given you a lot of tools here that you can, you can try a lot of things on your own at home, even before going to therapy. Right. And you're talking about the youngest being three. Again, here we have another topic of 
toddlers who like hold their pee and poo because I've got one of those right now. So <laughs> I feel like I'm just growing a list. I know. Generally, we're like, you know, age five is generally the age, but this was a special case. And so, yeah, it was yeah. very rewarding. Well, thank you so much for being here. And I'm just, my mind is blown with all of this information. It's so helpful. And I know it's going to help so many people. And I'm actually going to put together a list of the other things we'd like to bring you back for. We've got prolapse, we've got painful sex, we've got maybe we've got toileting issues with our kids. There's like so many amazing topics that moms uh, and women can be empowered on. And so I appreciate your expertise. I absolutely love your approach and your passion. We'll link everybody to your Instagram page so they can follow you and see all the amazing resources that you're putting together that are also translated into multiple languages and uh, yeah, I, I just absolutely appreciate the difference that you're making and how you're empowering people with their health. So thank you. It is such, it is so rewarding. I love every minute of what I'm doing. And I thank you so much for this opportunity to be on here. This was my first podcast. So I was really nervous, but you made it very, very easy and very comfortable. And I, I'm so excited for the opportunity to share. Oh, thank you. You did awesome. And we'll definitely have you back. Thanks so much. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Always, I'm so happy and grateful that I can share this space with you. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening. Quick question for you Have you joined our Facebook community yet? If you head to facebook.com slash group slash happy as a mother, you can join our private community to connect with like minded, supportive moms. If you're looking for any of the resources that we're discussing, today's episode, you can head on over to our show notes. All the links to the resources and all the contact information for our amazing guest will be there. Make sure to subscribe to the show so you don't miss a single episode. And if you can't wait until the next episode to connect with me, I'll be hanging out over on Instagram at underscore happy as a mother. I'll see you right back here for the next episode. Settling is not an option for Everything me. I desire is already mine. What if you can have it all? <laughs> because every day is for the girls. Hello, hello. Welcome to For the Girls podcast, hosted by Victoria Alario, For the Girls Who Want More. Listening to For the Girls will have you ready to raise the bar, stop settling for the bare minimum, and start believing you can have it all and step into the 2.0 version of you. You can catch a new episode of For the Girls every Monday across all podcast platforms. Until next time, girls.